Whiskey Business is brought to you by the law offices of Saya and Pyatt and by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. By the time you hear this podcast this evening, it will no longer be International Whiskey Day. But as we are recording it, it is, damn it, International Whiskey Day. Like I need a special day to raise a glass of good whiskey. But hey, it is what it is. And so we will celebrate International Whiskey Day today. And it seems appropriate my friends, that we're celebrating International Whiskey Day today because um, this is our 50th bottle of, of whiskey on Whiskey Business. So it just seems like the whiskey symmetry has just fallen into place properly and naturally. On this International Whiskey Day, some will tell you that the roots of whiskey go all the way back to ancient Mesopotamia. Yeah, that far back. Was it whiskey? They say possibly, maybe something close to it. I'm assuming then if that's true, then back in that particular time and period, the first happy hour had to have occurred at some point, right? I mean, you know, I, a group of people just looking at their the sundials and- <laughs> It's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah, five o'clock somewhere and kicking off their, kicking off their sandals and, and having, in fact, I'd like to think that there was a, a, a drink a special drink at the bar or tavern, wherever they went to, that was called the Mesopotamia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that they all flocked to. Um, as far as whiskey goes, who makes the most whiskey, my friends? Um, well, I can tell you that USA is number two. We're number two. We're number two. Yeah. Scotland is still the largest producer of whiskey, followed by USA, and then our good friends from Ireland, and then I bow, you can't see me, our friends, the good Japanese, coming forth, and and Canada ranks uh, fifth as far as the production of whiskey goes. So at least we got we got Canada beat. Welcome to Whiskey Business, a podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. I am your host, Dino Tripodis, and Hansbury. Yes, I mentioned it. Our fiftieth bottle. This well is a done, sir. Thank you. It's a milestone. I've survived. Congratulations. Cheers. Cheers. Yes. Our fiftieth bottle. And our guest bottle is a bottle of, you know, see, it's celebrations all around because this was a gift bottle. This bottle came from my brother-in-law at Christmas time, and I've been waiting for the right occasion. He swears he doesn't like rye, but he, I've gotten him drinking more rye lately. This is Michter's Barrel Strength Toasted Barrel Finish uh, Straight Rye Whiskey, and we'll talk more about that whiskey a little bit later on. But right now, I want to introduce our guest. Um, I'm very pleased. Uh, this will be now my, I think it's my third encounter with you, I technically, officially. Yes. Christina Basham <laughs> is with us. The first time I, I met Christina, she was uh, working for another establishment, and she was at one of our uh, radio events making a special cocktail Girls for, Night Out. for Girls Night Out. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what you were concocting, well, but I, it was delicious. It's funny, because I was working for a bourbon bar, and I remember um, our director of sales said, oh, they want you to do a bourbon tasting. And I said... Women love bourbon, but I don't think a bourbon 
tasting is really going to fit that crowd. So uh, we ended up doing a super fun like bourbon lemonade. We had like edible flowers and I just kind of wanted to make it approachable for the ladies. And I think they had a pretty good time. Then we run into each other at the uh, Woodford Reserve Manhattan Experience. She's a judge. I'm a judge. And Max from uh, Ohio Tavern News was a judge. So we run into each other again. And then I called it like, you know, probably not getting together that first time was the way it was supposed to go because I learned so much more about her and what you're all about and what your experience is. <laughs> and a special guest for the 50th bourbon yeah. or whiskey. We get criticized from time to time and we don't do it on purpose. Oh, we I don't do it on this. purpose, but we get criticized for not having uh, enough women mm-hmm. on the, on whiskey business because as you just mentioned, women love bourbon. Women love bourbon they too. Do. So, uh, so look at this. Look how it all lines up, Hansberry. Checking all the boxes. We got a, a 50th bottle. Um, the stars of a line. We got stars <laughs> of a line. We've, we've got Christina Basham on the show. And uh, here we go. She's a sales manager for Middle West Spirits. You have been uh, for a while now on the USBG, which I didn't know what that was. It is the... <laughs> The what? United States Bartenders Guild. Dun, so we're, da, da. we're a national da, 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 da. organization. I have a pin somewhere. Da, da. Um, yeah, the USBG is uh, a professional organization for both those uh, behind the stick and uh, sales and enthusiasts. And really anybody can join. You just have to like booze and like to talk about it and learn about it and oh, well. camaraderie and there we go we, you, you could join you should there. be we a member be card carrying members any yeah. day now Hansberry you can have a pen too <laughs> mm, uh, I want a pen too I just it, it sounds it sounds fancy when you it say it sounds very uh, yes uh, mm-hmm. I'm a member of the USBG uh, like okay all right so you used to be behind the stick yes. behind the bar mm-hmm. for how many years 14 14 and now you're if you can do your math you know how old I am uh, when I was that's, my mother said never ask a woman's age. <laughs> 29. Exactly. Yeah. Plus six. <laughs> uh, I'm still bad at math. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, you, you now do the uh, sales manager thing for middle, for middle West uh, spirits, but 14 years behind the bar as a bartender, or we've discussed this in the, in the last podcast or a mixologist. Uh, I'm always going to say bartender. Um, you know, I started off in hospitality. I've worked in every, almost every style of, of restaurant well, or bar you could work what in. What was your first bar that you worked in? My first restaurant <laughs> with a bar was Applebee's at University mm-hmm. City, oh. which is closing, I just heard. They're yeah. like closing. A lot um, of them. Yeah. I, uh, right out of college, or right out of high school, I went to OU, but in between, a good friend's mom worked at a local uh, real estate management company. So for four years, kind of on and off, I was like a your rental associate person who like rented people apartments and managed and um I decided to go back into school again and uh wanted something flexible and somebody said hey you should like go work in a restaurant and I said I like people cool so that's kind of how it started and um start off as a server you started right? off as actually I opened and rolled out their car to go program oh. that was a total bust mm-hmm. yeah um they're like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you order boy, they br- sold me it, on it, uh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> bring it to their car. Yeah, you bring it to their car. Yeah. yeah. So it was like Sonic without the roll right. blade or roller skates. Um, yeah. So I did that. And then I worked at a kind of a sportsy dive bar and then managed a nightclub for a long time. And But when did you get behind the bar for the first time? Was oh, it at Applebee's? Uh, yep. Yeah, it was. And, but within... you started off as a server and then yep. went behind the bar. Mm-hmm. They said somebody missed a shift and they said, 
hey, Christina, can you get back here? You know, at the time, Applebee's was... Okay, back, you know, 15 years ago, 14 years ago, there weren't all these awesome small restaurant groups. I feel like it, it was either fine dining or mom and pop Italian restaurant or corporate turn and burn, which is what I call it. Most of it, you know, the Damons and the Applebee's and the Fridays. And so there wasn't a lot of like super high quality places to work that mm-hmm. we had this amazing ethos. It was just like, OK, get in, make your money, get out. So, yeah. So I started I was probably about a year in and I basically the people who had been longtime bartenders just moved on to other gigs like they had they weren't in a restaurant anymore they were in like legitimate bars where they're like really you know getting people messed up and making money <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. versus that fun like third-party liability law when you're working for corporate where you're like sir i think that i have to cut you off now because my gm is staring at me <laughs> i see wow i wasn't even aware that there was a third-party liability yeah law. in the state of ohio if somebody leaves your establishment gets into an accident or hurts themselves or someone else and they can prove that they were in your establishment and you overserved them, you can be held liable. Well, thank you. That. that makes a very comfortable segue because I almost neglected to mention our sponsors for tonight. <laughs> Are the, uh, the law offices of Saya and Pyatt located in Columbus, Delaware, Cleveland, and Mount Gilead. So, yes, I'll ask him about the third-party liability yeah. Yeah. next time I see him. I wonder if they represent the third party <laughs> yeah. as well. <laughs> right. You can contact them Who's at SPLaws, SPLaws.com or 888-OVI-OHIO.com or call them at 614-444-3036. So did you take to it quickly? I think so. Uh, bartending? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, corporate's really great for a lot of reasons. It gives you structure. You have recipes. Like they're, they, This is why you do it, and this is how you do it, and don't do it any other way. And for me... I like structure. I mean, as I got older, I actually relaxed a little. But, you know, I was like a super, you know, graduated 4-2 valedictorian from my high school. And I was like super really? nerd. Mm-hmm. What were yeah. you supposed to be? Well, I sang Italian opera right out of college. Get out. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, that lasted about a year and a half and I got burnt out. And, oh, gosh, I've had a lot of things while being. That's the great part about being behind the stick is that you can do other stuff. So. Um, I went to cosmetology school. I was a cosmetologist for a short while. I uh, worked in the bridal industry. You might be the only valedictorian I know <laughs> that was also a cosmetologist. Really? Well. Yes. Hmm, I don't, interesting. Yeah, because when everybody says every val- every valedictorian that, you know, that I was, m- the valedictorians in our class went on to be uh, doctors and and. My godson was valedictorian in his class. And, he's in Notre Dame he, now. He's in Notre Dame studying, <laughs> yeah. studying I don't know, three different kinds of medicine and so forth and so on. So good for you. Talk it's about- followed me. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a, I, I like learning. I, I, that's always been something that was important to me. So my problem is just that I've never been able to nail it down 100%. So it's like, oh, I think I want to do this. I'm totally into it. And then, like, I get through half the coursework and I'm like, I'm bored. I want to do something else. This is where I want to be. So, so what do you attribute that to? I don't know. I think I'm just multifaceted. I think that I just genuinely have a lot of different interests. And and nothing will, you you feel like you've, once you've learned everything you can learn about something, it's, it's time to move on. Uh, yes and no. Cause I don't think you can ever know and learn everything, but I think that you get to a point where you feel really comfortable in what you're doing and, and, you choose to either like dive in a little deeper, which I usually do. But yeah, I think at a certain point, sometimes you just tap out, top off and figure it out. Let me go back to, to, to high school. I hate going back to high school, but let me go back to high school for just high a second. good for me. So you were, you were a valedictorian <laughs> mm-hmm. and was there, and you mentioned opera. So mm-hmm. did you go to college after that? Yeah. So I was on scholarship to you OU. To, you mentioned Ohio OU. University. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and was, did you study music? I studied music. I was a vocal performance education double major. 
So I did that for a year and loved it and also hated it. And I think I was just burnt out because I'd been singing nonstop for since I was five or six and doing private lessons on top of like being a triathlete and all kinds of craziness for like ever. So so. when I think of opera, which by the way, I love, Mm -hmm. okay. I mean, that's a special type of training, special kind of voice. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) and sometimes uh, I've seen like big voices, opera singers who, who who really don't sing other things well. I mean, so is that the case with you or do you have a good singing voice in general? Um, Well, I don't really sing opera anymore Uh because I'm just, I'm not vocally in shape the way that I was. Um, when I decided to stop singing opera and I transferred up to Ohio State and I was like a music minor, so I was still taking classes, but um, kind of trying to actually take general education courses because when you're a music major, it's like 18 credit hours of music that you have to take. You just kind of have to squeeze in everything else. Right. Oh, um, yeah, there's math. Oh, yeah. yeah, math, which is like, fuck math. Pardon my French. No, um, no, it's all right. Okay. <laughs> I, felt this, I had physics at 8 Although o'clock in I the morning. Do, I was, yeah, that yeah. didn't work out either. I can do bar math real good, though. I can. I know what your change is. Let's yeah, talk large yeah. platform cocktails. She works in a cash-only uh, basis. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can tell you what 20% is supposed to be, okay? Actually, 30% is what you. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, it was very interesting. I started studying with a private coach that I had coached with in high school. And said, I don't want to sing anything like opera, but I still want to sing. And so I studied almost, I studied just jazz for a while. Um, that was really fun, jazz and soul. And then I performed throughout my life here and there. And um, Who are who are some of your influences in jazz and soul? Because I love jazz. Oh, I mean, Sarah Vaughan probably is a big one for me. Um, yeah. You know, I, <clears throat> I kind of sound, I've been told that I kind of sound like, I sing a lot of Adele, a lot of Sam Smith. So I sing a lot of like, soul but had people who are like right. classically trained um but i've been told that i kind of sound like adele had a really quick tryst with um janis joplin wow okay that's, cool. that's an so. interesting combination <laughs> i wish we had some 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 yeah. track music that we would make her sing but i won't put you on the spot like that <laughs> i'm not gonna put you on the spot like that but that's a, that's an interesting combination sarah vaughn god i love her voice yeah too. Yeah. So, um, but so is music still? Oh, I love it. It's my first love. It is your first love. It goes, I go back and forth. Um, I, you know, working nights and weekends, it's always been really hard to perform regularly. Um, I was performing with a local burlesque troupe called the Velvet Hearts for quite a while. And uh, I was kind of their, they called me their house songbird and I was the host. So I would like do all the intros and I would sing in between when like they were prepping for like a group number um, you kind of skated over one word that was very interesting. What? Burlesque. Yeah. 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 A well, burlesque I didn't do group. any reveals, but it was great because I got to dress up really fancy and wear lots of glitter uh-huh. and be kind of half naked, um, which is always fun. And then, you know, introduce these awesome women who are performing. And I've often found half naked to be very frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> I find half naked and then no further. It's just like, well, why me? Why did I get half naked? If I'm not going to get full naked, why am I half? I mean, we're not talking about when I get home. I'm like, I know. get the clothes I understand. Off. I understand. Um, so, but, and, and music being a first love, but in this industry, with the, the liquor for and and being behind the stick, which means being behind the the bar, the bar mm-hmm. uh, for fourteen years, you have to love that too. Then on some oh, level, oh, one hundred percent. But if you think about it, there are a lot of there's a correlation. You what know? is it? Um, entertaining people, you know, like creating a memorable experience for people. So I feel like I did it. I mean, music for me, it was never really about the performance. I never could do like musical theater because I'm just not gonna like 
do the jazz hands. Like, I mean, I'll do it, but I'm not going <laughs> to love doing it. Um, like, I want to sing because I love the way singing makes me feel. And I love being able to to get other people to emote and kind of get them to align with me for that period of time. So I love that. And I think being behind the bars is kind of the same thing. I mean, you, everybody yeah. is going through something, you know, yeah. best day, worst day, average day. And they're like, if this is, this is the hundredth average day in a row, what the hell am I going to do with myself? And you know, you're there to kind of take their mind off of it, which is exactly what you do when you're performing. And you get them to emote uh, mm-hmm. on their levels. I mean, so do you consider yourself to be a good listener? I think so. Yeah. Were there ever nights though that you were listening that, uh, and you really didn't give a shit? Of course. I think everybody kind of hits moments. Yeah. But I think. But were you able to not sh- disguise that? And, and oh. as far as your, your customer was concerned, you were the I, best sounding board in the world? I hope that anybody's listening to this that knows me and I served them never felt like I didn't care. You know, I think that um, something when you're like a young bartender, they're like, leave everything at the door. Like, you can't bring any of your personal emotions here. You've got to be on, you know. And I think that I never really expected that out of the people that that I worked with or worked for me because I think to an extent that's kind of bullshit. I think it's nearly impossible. But I think there are ways that you can, like, find positive and things that are, like, that have grace in the process of what you're trying to do. Let's talk about that that cliche, for lack of a better word, for a moment. What is it about the bartender through generations that he that he or she becomes that that person where people can just open up to is it because it's a stranger i think it's booze <laughs> well i mean booze is part of it right but then but then eventually you know you start you start telling your tales or your joys you yeah. know you, or whatever the case would be to this complete stranger i think it has a lot to do with you know it's a time you know you're sitting there it's a, like it's a, something that you have intent like you're you're not going to talk to your grocery checkout guy. Well, no. Cause you know, then you're going like, to hold, hold up the line. How much can you talk? You know, what yeah. can I tell you in 15 seconds about my life? Which, you know, there are all those people who are like, oh right. my God, you know. Um, you know, yeah, I'm sure it's, it's somebody who's displaced from your normal life. Everybody gets tired of bitching about the same stuff to the same people. And at some point, you got to take it another direction. And so I think it's convenience and... In a way, you're kind of paying for that service, right? Like you're sitting True. at their bar and, you know. Cheapest therapy in the world. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, depending on how much you drink. How much you drink. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. Yeah. I've had some bar tabs that were way more than the 45 <laughs> minutes I got with the with my psychiatrist. Um, what's the most bizarre thing somebody told you when you were behind the bar? Oh, most bizarre. Um, gosh, I don't know if I have any exciting stories. I think... Um, I saw some really crazy stuff. All right, let me um, ask you this. What's the most revealing thing somebody ever told you when you were working behind the bar? Um, I have a few. Somebody once came out as um, HIV positive. Wow. Um, to you for the first time? Mm-hmm. That's the first time they had told anybody? they ever told. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh, that was pretty heavy. Um, it was somebody that kind of knew, who was kind of like a regular. Uh-huh. Um, so it was pretty heavy, but, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of, power in that and uh i hope that i gave him the advice he needed to kind of be able to move forward and talk to the people that he like his loved ones in his life that that he needed to share that with. did he know you at the time or we knew each other but we but weren't you weren't friends friends yeah yeah so as much it, as you think you know right you're, you're a bartender that you see you know? I, I, yeah yeah you develop a relationship mm-hmm. with 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 a, a a bartender somebody that you know and recognize and 
But there's there is something interesting about that dynamic that that relationship with customer, bar and bartender that seems to solely exist in that space and only that space. If I see you out somewhere, it's awkward. You feel like a three legged dog. Yeah, yeah. It's not the same it's not it's it's not the same relationship now. Yeah. It's not the same dynamic. It's the I think it's a space. Like you're you know, a lot of bartenders talk about how when they come out from behind the bar and they take other jobs, it feels different to them when they have to interact with someone in a different capacity because they don't have that three feet of wood. They can't walk away when they need to or want mm-hmm. to. You know, like you are, as the bartender, you have the power in the relationship. You can pay, pour somebody really strong. You cannot. You can listen to their stuff. You cannot. You can, you know, choose to walk away. You can do all kinds of stuff. So I think it's, there's a strange kind of, you know, situation there. Being someone who 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 has a, a local and and goes to a favorite bar, do bartenders have favorite customers for real? Absolutely. Do they? I mean, do they almost get, breathe a sigh of relief when they see a familiar face? Absolutely. Especially if you've had a rough night where you've just kind of been shit on. Because I'll hear I'll hear someone say that like, oh man, I'm so glad you I'm so glad you came in. I'm having a horrible night. Yeah. And they're like happy to see me. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, because you have those people that come in that, you know, it's almost like their safe space, even as a bartender. Like I, there were people that became, that were regulars of mine for years and years. And I caught myself at the end towards the end of my career, totally like bitching about other customers do them. Yeah. Normally we talk about our guest bottle a little bit right from the get go, but I, I kind of stalled on that only because Hansberry, I want to watch. I want you to watch the 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 lady work. This is the Michter's <laughs> yeah. barrel strength, oh, toasted boy. barrel finish. I mean, <laughs> what what do you think of this particular rye whiskey? I think it's great. Now, I am a Michter's fan and I am a rye fan, mm-hmm. and I think that they make incredible whiskeys and bourbons and um I know that they have like this really strange lineage like that dates back to the 1750s and I got to see the distillery a couple of times last year. So, it's kind of a pretty cool process, but you know, this is a dessert Rye. Uh, like okay, silky, I was gonna say, yeah, silky toffee caramel marzipan, it's, all kinds of fun stuff. It's like there. it's like a it's like an entire spice rack is in mm-hmm. this bottle. Yeah, it's it's got all kind of stuff going on. So the novice, what's what's toasted about it? Is it the actual uh, so uh, the wheat bar, that's the, toasted, or is it the, the inside of the barrel? The barrel is not charred. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, usually there are four levels of char. This is just like a super breezy like pass by with flame, ah. so they don't get that alligator char. So it's that you toasted, not. Right. Like a marshmallow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to burn, you know, you don't throw away a burnt marshmallow. Right, yeah. You toast it just yeah. right. Yeah. So, yeah. Like a lighter. I was never that kid because I had no patience. So I'm like, torch <laughs> this motherfucker. And then I'm going to eat it. <laughs> Let me ask you about your childhood. Uh, sure. Only child, brothers, sisters? Uh, I have two sisters, 10 and 14 years younger. 10 and 14. That's, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Yes, it is. Okay. My childhood is very interesting. Okay, well, let's talk about it. Where are you from originally? Um, I grew up uh, in the Bottoms, which is, if you don't know, the Lower West Side. You're Columbus native then. Columbus native, yep. Um, Grew up pretty poor. Uh, You know, I don't, if you know anything about Columbus history, Franklinton was actually the first settlement in Ohio. Right. Um, So it dates back a couple hundred years um, at this point. Almost, you know, two two something now. Um, How do you feel about your... Franklinton now becoming one of the up and coming neighborhoods in the city of Columbus. It's 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 going through its own little renaissance. It's definitely gentrifying. Um, when I left, I like <laughs> my first year, 
um, after high school, when I got back from OU, I was like, I'm moving to Hilliard. I want to live in the <laughs> suburbs. I do not want to live in the ghetto. And uh, now it's really cool because I feel like, you know, the city only has so, so much to, to grow. Right. And I feel like Columbus is one of the only major, you know, top 20 cities that doesn't utilize both sides of the river. So it's only natural that it grows this way. And you've got like the King Lincoln district on the other side that's really growing out. So I think it's wonderful. Um, it's definitely weird, though, when I like go to like Land Grant or we have Tavern or Strongwater. And I'm mm-hmm. like, this is weird. This is not what I grew <laughs> up with. Yeah. Not how I grew up. Yeah. Yeah. What'd your parents do? So uh, my dad was not ever around. He he and my mother split before I was born. Um, my mom worked, had a couple weird like part-time jobs for the city. Like she was the executive director of the board of trade for Franklinton, but I don't really know how she kept that job. She was a very big drinker, like crazy big drinker. What'd she drink? Uh, well, depended on the time of day. So she started her day with a <laughs> pot of coffee and then she drank Bud Light from 11 to about five. Mm-hmm. And then she drank Jack and Coke from about wow. five to close, which was whenever she went to bed. <laughs> and that was, was that a daily? Oh yeah. For yeah. Sure. Interesting. And yet she, so she kept the job, right? Kind of. Kind of? I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, she did, but. So did you kids raise, did you kids raise yourselves? I kind of raised them. You raised sure. them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, with yeah. that, with that, the disparaging age difference there, that age, difference, the 10 and 14 years younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would imagine you would have been in a position where, okay, it's on me. Yeah, I think that I kind of, I stayed really involved in school, which I didn't feel like was escapism at the time, but I think kind of was. Um, but it helped me because it was great. And I graduated and had all this stuff that I could be like, look at all the things I did. Well, now now, now I'm looking at your, you mentioned you were a valedictorian. I mm-hmm. mean, that's a success story right there, given your, your circumstances growing up. Yeah, I didn't really feel like that at the time. But yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I've had some ups, I've had some downs, and um, I've made great decisions, and I've made not good decisions, and, you know, all that was part of it. Is your mother still with us? No. She yeah. actually passed, um, I think we're coming up on eight or nine years. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, my father was, my father was around for a short amount of time, at least from what I recall, but mostly absent, so once again, raised uh by a single mom, you know, mm-hmm. for my, my formative years. But, uh, yeah, my mom didn't, my mom, my mom drinks, but she doesn't drink, mm-hmm. you know, she'll, there's difference. Yeah. She'll, she, my mom, my mom is the belly up to my bar at the holidays and honey, make me a highball, <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of drinking yeah. mom, so forth. Yeah. And so on with that. But, uh, yeah, she worked hard and, and raised my sister and myself, but, uh, uh, nobody in my family w- was, a. Uh, well, that's not true. My grandfather was a big drinker. I'm trying to. I, I always try to trace our drinking mm-hmm. histories, our habits, our our love for alcohol, and and does it go back? Do you think it goes back to your family? Because now your mom sounded like obviously a problem drinker. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, she, and how do you balance that? And how do, do you ever feel like, man, really, I'm I'm slipping into oh, mom mom I mean, yeah, mom ways? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I've had moments where I felt that way. Um, you know, I think for a long time when I was young, so my sisters, um, my mom like met some a new person and that's where my sisters came along. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I kind of, I guess, referred to, he never, they, he and my mom never got married, but you know, for all, for all things, he was kind of my stepdad at the time. Um, we never really, like, we just never really connected, which was always so bizarre to me because I feel like I connect with a lot of people pretty easily. So you did not connect with the stepdad. We just didn't. 
Yeah, we just had nothing in common. And we had moments that were great, but... You didn't connect, but were you also, were you constantly conflicted? Yeah, I think to an extent, because it was, it was kind of like them, like he and my mom versus me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I felt like I was the parent that was like, your behavior is inappropriate. Like, you shouldn't be going to the bar five nights a week kind Did of thing. Did stepdad drink too? Um, you know, when he met my mom, he was kind of a pothead, um, but he drank a lot, like, after, you know. And now I think that he, and we don't really talk, we don't really have a, a relationship, but I think that he doesn't really drink as much. So he's still around. He's still around. He's yeah. still around. He's so remarried and. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Your father was never around. Your mother's mm -hmm. passed away. And the guy that you never really established any yeah. type of uh, relationship <laughs> rapport with, he's the one that's the still standing. Has, uh, the universe has uh, <clears throat> dealt me a really interesting hand this time around. <laughs> so, so when you, when you look at alcohol now, how do you, how do you address it and how do you. How do you know that you might be falling into a uh, a zone that could be, you know, damaging? So I think I've been in that zone. Um, okay. When I was younger, and I think I kind of uh, like to say that I was this really well-behaved person with all these responsibilities, and then when I hit like twenty-one and I could like legally drink, I just turned out. You know, I'm like, I'm going to drink whatever I want, whenever I want. Um, as much as I, I feel like I made as many mistakes as you can make. I mean, I lock on wood, very lucky, never like no legal issue and, you know, nothing bad like right. that. But, you know, felt myself bartending can be really polarizing as a person to gain life balance because you drink a lot, right? Because that's just what you do. And back when I was working in like dive bars and nightclubs, like you drank with your guests. That was just expected. That was almost the norm. You're like, hey, do a shot with us. You're like, yeah. And then at the end of the night, you're like, I did 10 shots, you know. And of course, they right. were like, you know, which three vodkas with juice were they kind of thing back in the day. But you fall into like this trap of you work, you're drinking while you work, you have drinks when you get off work because you're trying to wind down because it's two, three o'clock in the morning. You sleep in, you go to work, and then on your days off, you go out and you visit your friends because they came in to visit you. And so you pass around this $20 bill. And you're just like, hey, good to see you. Thanks for visiting me. And here's, you know, so it's like this camaraderie that you build and this really cool, you know, Anthony Bourdain like always calls it like a secret society. Right. And it definitely feels that way. But what you don't realize is that you kind of aren't furthering anything outside of that like day to day, like work. When did you uh, realize or feel that alcohol might have been a problem? Um, I have to thank someone that I dated previously. Um, we were in a relationship and she basically, well, it was really fun and like party central <laughs> for like the two months, first two months we were together. And then, um, she like broke up with me. Like I, we were sitting at a bar together and she was literally just like, I don't want to date you. And she like got up and left me at the bar. <laughs> just like and that. I was, oh yeah. Like, and was it because of the booze? She was, yeah. I mean, I drank, but she drank. And, um. Called me like two days later. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I just can't do this anymore. Like I, like alcohol always ruins all my relationships. I can't do this anymore. And so the deal was that we were going to try to figure it out. And hopefully we would, you know, like kind of end up on the same terms. And she said, I'm not asking you to stop drinking. I just don't want to hang out with you if you've been drinking. That was kind of the rule. Or I don't really want to talk to you if you've been drinking. You know, that's a nice equation. To put together in a relationship, but I find that that seldom works. Well, you know, I, at that time, I was kind of head over heels and it was never more important. So, I mean, we ended up being together another seven months and she went through 12 step and I kind of was 
in 12 step with her and kind of just trying to figure out where I was at. Steps, steps adjacent. (laughs) Well, I think that you just never, you know, I think there's a difference between abuse and like disease. People believe that Mm -hmm. like alcoholism is a disease, but I think like you can be super abusive and not be diseased. And so I'm like, where do I fall? I know I make bad decisions. I know I'm like a partier, party drinker, but like, there's always a way to excuse it like oh but it's my i'm a bartender all my friends are drinking like a lot of my friends drink way more than me so what makes me like why am i wrong because look at these assholes over here you know oh yeah the old uh rationalizations yes so which i say are like bowel movements (laughs) how's that (laughs) you need at least one good one every day (laughs) so we end up staying together another like seven or eight months after that and um then we split for good and i stayed sober for almost a full year after that so not a drop not a drop and i just because i just i was really busy did it change your perspective did you see things differently absolutely yes would you say that even someone like ourselves right now that's the casual drinkers and the social drinkers so you're saying that if we stop drinking for a year right now would even just casually we'll we'll see things differently in a different perspective i think that it depends on what casual looks like to you Uh uh-huh um like do you drink every day how much do you drink you know for me it was I was cutting myself off at the knees because I wasn't allowing myself the time or the perspective or the intent to be able to really like take the world by the balls the way that I thought that I could. Are you taking the world by the balls now? I'm certainly trying to. Yeah. Taking it by the balls, <laughs> holding tight, squeezing them. It's more like ah, holding tight. But, I, uh, you know. <laughs> I, I believe. <laughs> Sorry, this might hurt. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now you say you were in that uh, relationship for a long time, but did I? Did I not? I met your fiance. Yeah, yeah. So I'm engaged the, now. I met your fiance at the uh, at the uh, Manhattan Experience. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. When's that happening? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody wants to make a donation to the wedding budget? Yeah. Um. You know, we've had a really busy year. Um. We got engaged at the end of last summer, and I think that we gave ourselves kind of an unrealistic timeline. And mm-hmm. I changed, you know, jobs and then I changed careers and she's actually in the middle of changing careers right now. And uh, so it's something that definitely will happen. But but there's no rush. There's uh, yeah. But I also like don't want to be engaged for five years. So right. uh-huh. <laughs> that just seems strange. Like somebody's just not ready to pull the trigger on that one. And when is what does she do? So she was up until well, she currently is for the next five days. Um, a college basketball coach. So she was the lead assistant at Ohio Dominican University wow. for women's basketball. Um, she played D1 at OU, which ironic because we were there like six years apart. Um, yeah, and she's coached ever since. And she's at a time in her life where she, A, wants to be able to make money. There's not a lot of money for D2 assistant coaches out there. Right. And she said, I'm really just tired of having to say I can't because I have basketball. There you go. So our entire life has been together has been her crazy schedule and then my crazy night, half night, half midday, half day schedules. And hey, see you in uh, when I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I can't, help, yeah. I, I can't help but see the irony in two exceptional women both grabbing balls in life <laughs> and Holding tightly tight. <laughs> to try to some imagery to, there. to try yeah, to move ahead yeah. I don't know, there's some irony in there somewhere <laughs> let's talk about what you do right now for for uh for middle west spirits and what what is your position there so i'm just recently um i'm a new sales manager for the columbus market um and what is what what brands do they cover so Middle West is the umbrella brand for um, OYO. Oh, right. Our own right here in Ohio. Right OYO. here. Oh, yes. Yeah. 
and uh, Vim and Pedal, which is our our secondary brand that was released uh, about a year and a half ago with mm-hmm. our gin. So we're actually doing a rebranding this year. We're super jazzed, and uh, it's going to look very different. Um, we're going to be rebranded across the board with not only what brands and what names represent what spirits, but our bottles, the whole nine. So yeah, uh, I mean, Oyo's a kind of a a success a success story of its own. I mean, talk about how they started yeah. and, and Ryan and Brady are, they're badasses um, and they're amazing people. Do you, you know? think their success story has become a blueprint for, uh, you know, the, the up and comers that we see now? I did, hope did they that, bust open the door? I mean, I hope so. And I think that they did, you know, we were the first um, micro distillery post prohibition in Ohio. Um, Ryan was, Ryan is from Pennsylvania and Brady is from Seattle and their partners were both part of the L brands reorg. So I'm assuming 2006 or seven, they both kind of moved here and left their prospective jobs and met. And Ryan was a fourth generation bootlegger. And okay, we got to get him on the show too. <laughs> yeah. Fourth generation bootlegger. He has a yeah. lot of fun stories. Yeah. Um, can you, can you secure him for I will us? Do can my you very grab best. him by the balls? I will grab him by the balls. Yes. <laughs> and, and bring him in here. <laughs> Ryan Lang, we're coming for you. Um, yeah. So they, you know, met and just really hit it off and, I think it was kind of a thing where Brady had a, he worked for Razorfish, which is eventually sold to Microsoft. And he said, I can brand. And Ryan's like, well, I can make juice. So why don't we give it a shot? Like we're here in this state that we never expected to be in. So the thing I love, and I love many, many things about this brand, but Brady once said that you don't have to be a native to be a local. And I love oh, that. Well, and I think cool. that's so representative of what Columbus is. Mm-hmm. And I'm so full Columbus. of transplants and people just come in here to make their dreams happen. And I think that's a very cool perspective. I'm not a native, mm-hmm. but I consider myself to be a local. Mm-hmm. I mean, likewise, being, yeah. being here some now for 20, last 24 years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, Columbus is home. Yeah. You know. So um, before I was in sales for them, I was um, their brand ambassador for about a year, year and a half. And then I helped them open up Service Bar, which is our restaurant. We've had uh, two, no, on the show, one brand ambassador. Marty. Marty. Well, two, if you count uh, Pete from uh, Woodford well, last yeah, week. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, oh, actually on Pete. the podcast, though, one, two, kind of Pete. Now three, we're very, Hansberry <laughs> and I are very, uh, very infatuated with the term brand ambassador. It's a little, it can be very, it wears many hats. It does. Can I be the whiskey business brand ambassador? Yeah, yeah you totally. can. Yeah. You know what? I deem you. Yes. I deem you, Greg Hansberry. <laughs> Brand ambassador for whiskey. Rip up that business card (laughs) and put brand ambassador for whiskey business. Yes. Mom, I made it. What do I get to be? Oh, You're the brand. I'm the brand. You're the brand. You are the brand. Uh, I don't want to be the brand. (laughs) I can't help but notice your tats. Yeah, I got a couple tats. Yeah, now they, they have meaning. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, no, I'm serious. I mean, yeah. I'm, I mean, not just not. No, no. I just you know how like, some people just like to put like I like I mean, that. I, think I like this this some, design. Is my daughter has tattoos. Of... My daughter has a uh, writing on her arm as well, and it was uh, it's uh, it's the uh, words from Bridge Over Troubled Water because that was her grandma's favorite song. Oh, that's beautiful. And so sail on sail on Silverbird is on her arm, and that's a tribute to her grandma. So I, I can't read everything what that says there. What's that this say? This one says, may the best of your past be the worst of your future. Is that something you wrote, or is that an actual quote from somewhere? Um, I, I It's a quote from somewhere. I can't remember mm-hmm. where, though. I've had it for quite and a while. And what possessed you to put that on, on your arm and I use think, those particular words? Um, I think I needed to remember that I was, like, moving through a space and and had the power to 
make things better for myself. Uh-huh. And um, also, uh, when you're a bartender, you're like this a lot. Yeah. So it was really a, kind of a great kind of communication piece or tool because people would ask me about it. Um, Much and, like I did. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was, you know, because then they go, oh, that's really interesting. It stops to make, it would make people think. And I always thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, huh, that's kind of nice. I don't know. I think I'm up to like 20 something at this point. Oh, it's uh, it's actually a quote from the band The Script. They were this Dublin, this Irish Dublin uh-huh. band. Um, me and a group of friends were super obsessed for a while, and their really big song was "It Don't Break Even." And I was going through a breakup, and wanted to remind myself that it, your heart never breaks even. Huh. Mm. I'm a literal person, no, so. That's right. And the numbers? <laughs> she wears it on her sleeve, literally. Denver's area code. Couldn't remember your area code. No, I just wanted a piece. I'd got this done when I moved back to Columbus from Denver. So, what would you recommend for me? I've been I've been wanting to get I've been talking about a tattoo. I mean, you don't know me. You don't know mm-hmm. me that well. But just in the short time, just as we've been talking, you know I love whiskey. Yeah, uh, I mentioned I mentioned two things. You know I love the opera. You know I like mm-hmm. jazz, soul, whiskey. Mm-hmm. All right. Um I could see you do like a little like a whiskey bottle like this. Let me see. But without the flowers? Why, yeah, without the fl- Why can't I do the flowers? You can totally do the flowers if you want you can to. Pull the flowers off. Because a man Or you can have good. it like open with a cork kind of laying down over here. Uh huh. Maybe a little glass in the fore area, a little rocks glass. See, Hansberry, someone thinking out of the box a little bit. I never would have thought about a whiskey bottle. And, and, really? and, and the extra things that go <laughs> along. Like with it. Number one thing. No, no. On, on, on a tat- as far as a tattoo. <laughs> No, they go to things you like. It's just it's like, no, I would have never thought to, to do that. You could get the chemical compound for whiskey. There you go. That's genius. We can get our astrophysicist buddy to write it then up what? for you. She knows it. I bet you know it. I don't it. know it. I bet you do. I don't know. I can tell H2O you. H2O and <laughs> bourbon. All right. Still now, keep in mind, I've been around a lot of amazing bartenders over the years. And probably seen a I've lot seen of amazing tattoos. amazing tattoos yeah, 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 that, yeah. Are, that are booze related. So I can't take all the credit. All right, what's your favorite whiskey? Mm, mm. I know. Everybody asks me that, and I hate that question. So I so I have to ask you as well. And that's okay. You can tell me you don't have one because I don't. I don't um, have a favorite whiskey. I just love them all so much. Well, they're just all so different. But I will yeah. tell you, because we're talking about Michters and we have Michters here, I will say that their unblended American whiskey, which is the only bottle in its class that they fought to have this class created because they add nothing they add no color they add no flavor they treat it exactly like bourbon it is incredible so Ooh. because we are on the mictor's train right now that's no, okay i'm gonna because... jamie alvary that's for you he's the regional he's the regional and for it's for sale Michters. you can't get it i think it's on special order for ohio but they definitely have it in kentucky <sighs> okay let me ask you about that too what's up with ohio you as an as a brand ambassador can you fix the allocation that Ohio gets? Because we get a shit allocation. We, get, we have no power. I, I don't brought really... this up on previous podcasts. Every time I get the opportunity to bitch about it with somebody who I think can do something about the situation, I bring it up again. Why? Why? I, for some reason, the government wants to be really involved. I don't know. I mean, the and, and this is kind of, I'm not going to say a blind spot for me, but being like on the sales side, there's right. a whole lot of fun, weird stuff that I'm still kind of learning um, about the, the, the backdoor goings, if you will. Um, why does the government want to be so involved? I have absolutely no idea outside of money um, and just general control. But um, I can tell you that the Guild has petitioned for special things that we wanted here to no avail. Um, they even have weird laws like Chinar 70. 
Chinar is amazing. Chinar 70 is right. amazing plus. And we can't have both. And I was told it was because they share the same label. But what? Chin- like, and that's like Ohio has a weird coda issue. Mm. So I, I don't know. It's incredibly frustrating as a bartender because you go and travel. And I got to travel all over the Midwest for sure, but all over you know, the country. And you see all of your friends and these like, you know, priority markets and secondary markets. And they have all this cool stuff. And then you're like, I don't, I can't get that. You can't back get where that from. where I live. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard. It's frustrating. I mean, you know, I got, I've, I've got, you know, my favorite bars who, 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 who jump for joy if if they get a bottle of Blanton's. Right. Well, Blanton's is very hard to get right now. I, I understand, but you know, my, I'm, I'm saying, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Right. I mean, Blanton's is good, but it's not the end all be all. It shouldn't be this holy grail of whiskey to get into your bar yeah i mean it's the original single barrel i think that's something that's awesome but otherwise i don't think it i think there's a ton of other really really great right. bourbon out there that's why i don't when people <laughs> say what's your favorite whiskey i go i don't have one because Depends on the day i've just discovered so many and continue to discover some and i always love being pleasantly surprised uh by by something i never heard of um i think one of my favorite surprises on this podcast is when i tried very old barton for the first time mm-hmm. and it's like 14 bucks a bottle I've been calling it the uh, the PBR of Kentucky. <laughs> the PBR, the PBR of Kentucky, yeah, yeah. and like it, you know, I don't even want to say for fourteen bucks a bottle, it's great. It was just I. It was just good. I, it was just good whiskey. Hey, you know what? OGD bonded. Yes, I OGD have... bonded like for it's like an eighteen dollar eighteen forty or something wholesale. So retail, it's like what twenty one, twenty two. Such a good bottle. It's great. And it's bonded, you know, so essentially I'm not going to say you're getting a small batch. Right. You're definitely getting a more curated batch than you would with something else. Something and you're getting else. that proof, too. Mm-hmm. So what stuff. is it? What's that? What's that all about? Why do some people get away with charging 89, 90 bucks? You know, this this Michter's goes for about 75, 80 dollars a bottle. And why do some but what? You know what? Pour your own Hansberry. There you go. It's the fi- it's the 50th bottle. Well, as you say, I think $70 you could, a bottle. I, I think you can pour, pour this one. I think one. you can pour your own. I think you can pour your own. Uh, so why why do some get elevated to those price levels? And you just talked about OGD bonded, which is 18 bucks a bottle. I think, why? Um, you know, it's exclusivity. Yeah. I think that's part of it. Um, I think legacy heritage brands can kind of get away with more. And it's marketing. I mean, look at the Grey Gooses of the world. Right. Like, you know, congratulations. You have a, a amazing marketing team who markets this brand and puts it's it like everywhere. like the Jameson a little bit we talked about. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. We talked, you know, how Jameson's is the number one mm-hmm. selling Just Irish because whiskey. Because they market the hell out of it. They market the hell out of it. And they've the, got the budget. And, and me budget. coming from a small brand who does not have a mm-hmm. budget um, or a budget of any real... <laughs> capabilities it's it's hard mm-hmm. you know just because you're just because you have the most money in your budget doesn't mean you have the best juice that's for damn sure so where do you want to go from here what's the next step because you strike me as a woman whose wheels are always turning <laughs> um my wheels are always turning i don't know i'm really happy i mean i'm, I'm still very new in my role um i love to travel uh, i'm just always so inspired both with like cocktails and development and food and just other cities and what they're doing in this industry. So hopefully I can find a way to work in my love for this brand and traveling and, and being able to kind of, you know, spread the good word of, of Middle West to other people. You had a, you had a small appearance on our, on our last podcast from the 
Manhattan experience and we touched upon the craft cocktails for a moment. I didn't really get into that tonight because we touched upon it. You made some very good points in the last one, but I do want to reiterate one point again <laughs> that she made in that podcast in case you didn't hear it, people, that I want you to make again. You you think that while craft cocktails are amazing and these people, these Absolutely. artisans who we judged mm-hmm. uh, recently oh, yeah. did amazing work, but the, at, at the end of the day, is it a craft cocktail or is it just a cocktail for you? I think it, you know, I think for me it depends on the day, but I think that you're going to see that these amazing craft cocktail bars like Curio in Denmark and Mouton, they're going to stay there. They're going to live there. Um, they're going to have these house-made ingredients and this fresh juice programs and things like that that really elevate and bring all these incredible flavors that you would never see together anywhere else. But I think at the end of the day, people just want a good, solid, cocktail Mm -hmm. and i think that that just means having really good ingredients being able to speak to them you know your your team your staff be able to actually talk about what's in it not just like oh it's just some stuff in there hope you like it um yeah i think that simplifying you're gonna see a lot of simplification of of bar programs i like when things go back to simple i I appreciate i appreciate it i really do a lot you know i've always considered you know now i can't even call myself an old soul because now i'm getting old so what do you, an older soul? <laughs> but when I was younger, I always considered myself to be an old soul. I always liked how things were back in the day. And back in the day, you know, it was, uh, it was a beer and a shot or, or just a, a, you know, boom, a simple cocktail, a simple uh, whiskey over the ice. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I had visions of how my grandfather drank it, you know. I and, like, um, I love cocktails. I love, I really love loved judging them because I got to try so many things and I had you to You were be, an amazing judge. <laughs> I had to be very, I like being specific when I'm really like not breaking down a cocktail, but like trying to understand what the process was. Cause for me, that's just really interesting and what the inspiration was for the cocktail for me. That's very interesting. Cause I know we just have these brilliant bar minds that are doing all this crazy stuff. Um, people who are far more creative than I ever was. Um, and I think that's cause there was always the minimalist in me that mm-hmm. was like, I don't think you got to do that. But I also was built for just totally different crowds too. But um, yeah, you and Max are writing stuff down and I, I couldn't do that because uh, it's just not the way my brain works. If I'm writing something down and I think I mentioned in the podcast, if I'm writing something down, I'm not listening. And I, and, and I really wanted to hear these people, but, but you were just had, had like a, this amazing shorthand that you were, <laughs> that you were jotting down and listening at the same time. You were multitasking, which, I was in total admiration. Well, I'm a woman, of, so I'm better at it than you. So it's not your that? fault. Uh, I'm a woman, so I'm better at it than you. Oh, it's not your fault. See, see, we went through almost an entire <laughs> podcast without without saying who's better, a man or a woman. I didn't say women were better. I just meant better at multitasking. Uh, no, it's proven. No, I yeah. will tell you, <laughs> you guys are better. <laughs> you're you're gonna win that battle every time. I'm not gonna argue with you. Um, I was asking them for their recipes uh-huh. because for me. I wanted to be able to like see what they did and, and, you know, did they do something house made or, you know, I wanted to kind of understand their process and then I wanted to apply it to what I was tasting. I didn't want to taste blindly or I did taste blindly, but then I, I don't know. I just needed something to look at. And because Mm -hmm. I think in my brains, in my brains, all of them, (laughs) I think about builds constantly. Kind of that's how I've done. I've always done development. It was just helpful to me because I knew how it should taste depending on what their build looked like. And I wanted to see if that reflected what I was actually tasting. This is the woman who took points away for an unmanicured lemon rind. Damn those lemon rinds. 
Hey, you can't call a cocktail the marble floor, <laughs> wear a three-piece suit, and then hand me a damn rustic lemon peel. I just don't. Rustic lemon peel. So what, a manicured lemon peel, just clean it's, cut? It's, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's edged out. It's cut, you know, every edge of it, and mm-hmm. sometimes something in the middle because you have to place it. Sometimes you, you know, you kind of express and drop into the glass, but sometimes you'll see people express and then kind of cut a slit in it so that it can sit on the side of the glass. So it's not just somebody slicing up some lemons and throwing them in in, the, in there, like you yeah. I mean, your, I think that that works. I think that's totally fine. I just don't think you can wear a three piece suit, call a gla- call this cocktail the marble floors, act like super bouge, and then like give somebody super rustic, super bouge, <laughs> act all super bouge. Jot that one down here. He was a very yeah. he was a very lemon. nice gentleman. Yes. He was, but it just it did the sto- story did not link up for me at all. Acting all super the bougie and shit. You trying to act super bougie? <laughs> oh man, we gotta wrap oh, things God. up. Um, our guest has been Christina Basham, uh, currently the uh, one of the sales managers for for Middle West Spirits and uh, uh, bartender mixologist extraordinaire. With the past, thank you for sharing some of your insights. My pleasure. Thank you for some sharing some of your stories. Yeah. For sharing a little bit of you. Yeah. I think that's what uh, my favorite thing is about these podcasts. Like I always say on Whiskey Business, it's a podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Mm-hmm. Uh, our guest bottle has been the uh, the Mictors, the uh, toast, uh, the barrel strength toasted barrel Delicious. finished rye. Nice, nice, very, very nice. nice. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing it with me, and thank you for for sharing yourself too. It's really a lot of fun. And I'll wrap it up by saying a many thanks to our producer, Greg Hansberry, as always, for producing Whiskey Business. Our thanks to our sponsor, the Law Offices of Saya and Pyatt, located in Columbus, Delaware, Cleveland, and Mount Gilead. You can contact them for a free consultation today, award-winning lawyers at 614-444-3036. And also our friends at Marcus Crosswood Cinema. Whiskey Business is a Never the Luck production recorded with the cooperation of the Columbus Radio Group. All the opinions are those of me, your host, Dean Tripodos, and my sometimes reluctant and sometimes not so reluctant guests and are never meant to offend, only to inform and entertain. And so until the next bottle, happy International Whiskey Day, everybody! I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.